0: We start with a nice word on Parshas Tetzaveh. A word I saw brought from the Bais Yisroel, z'utat um, was last week, and this is a word that says from a lot of tzaddikim, but uh, each one in their own way. The pustik says lamur ne'tumet. So Chazal teach us lamur Right, this was only uh, relevant for lamur when it came to the menorah. That's why we needed Shemazai zoch, but not when it came to the manuchas. So, the way the Vaisis rule brings this watch from earlier, Siddiqui, is that kusis, when it comes to knocking someone else, not when it comes to yourself, but when somebody is giving someone else misses, somebody is rebuking someone, or putting them, you know, in, in, in some sense, putting them down, or telling them they're doing something wrong, it should only be done if it's going to be lamour. Kusis, as long as there's a condition to knowing how to tell someone something in a critical way, if it's going to be lamour, if it's going to lighten them up, if it's going to help them grow and shine, then it's a good thing to do sometimes it's constructive criticism, there's a time and place for it, there's a way to do it. When it comes to Lamanuchas, if the way you're putting someone down or being critical of somebody uh, is condescending and it's making the person Lamanuchas, it's making them go down, it's making them uh, function less and be less productive and less successful, then obviously it's not the right thing to do. And this is something that's so relevant because almost anyone, especially at home, but almost anyone finds themselves in a situation where they feel like it's important for them it's even an obligation for them sometimes to say something critical or say something that's, uh, cons- of course, constructive criticism. But they forget to check if it is constructive or if it's actually helping someone or not. Saying it because that's what has to be said, saying it because that's what the person has to hear, without checking if it's really producing the results that you want, is obviously not a great thing to do. And this is so relevant when it comes to Shalom bias and Kinech and and so many different relationships where people find themselves in the position where they feel that it's obligation, or whether it's a chayich or whatever it is that people feel obligated to say something, and they either don't take into account what's this really going to cause, what's going to be the outcome of this, or they don't connect the dots and think about, you know, what happened the last time I said it? Did it help? Did it not help? Am I saying it in a better way than last time? Or do I notice which times it did help, or how it helped, or when it helped, when it has to be said, things like that. So with that, let's delve straight into a short question that somebody wrote. Okay, dear, by Gruen. Maybe you have an etzer for me. My wife doesn't chat what it means halacha. For example, with tefillah. She davens what she likes to daven, and most days she doesn't even say sh'monaheser. I tell her that it's silly on to be busy with halal because sh'monaheser is more important. Also on other days she enjoys saying the halalukas more than shema or sh'monaheser. But I know that al pihalacha, that's not the way to do it. I don't like bringing it up because it causes fights. But don't I have an achrayes? Also, shouldn't she be listening to her husband when it comes to Rukhnius? Okay, so the question here is that she's not davening the right way, and that you feel that you have an So it seems that the halacha you mentioned when it came to her davening, but you didn't realize that what I see over here is more than one halacha question. And that is both in regard to her, what what should she or shouldn't she be davening, What's more important to be davening? How much should she be davening? What's, an, what's really more important to be halacha. And I think that your obligation, which you mentioned, though to have an akhra'i, is um, to say something when my wife is doing something wrong, that's also a haloha question. It's a halacha question. Now, I'm not a ruah, I'm not a, a ruah, and I'm not going to answer these halacha questions. Um, how much should a woman be davening? Does she have to daven at all? And if she is or isn't doing something that she's not supposed to, for example, or, so, or not doing something she's supposed to, how much are you obligated to say something? In general, in general, I think that's just as, by way of introduction, I think that has to be clarified. I think you could ask your local Orthodox competent rabbi who could help you understand both her obligations as well as yours. I think that's very important. Um, I, I think that many people do know that when it comes to women, davening, it's very different than, than men's obligations of davening. Um, and it's important to differentiate. I was recently at a Shabbatone, and I'm only saying this because I know the class wasn't posted online, so what I'm saying now is uh, without any details or names. And I was doing a QA, I was participating in a QA question and answer session with another rabbi who was older than me and smarter than me and probably more Yoshiman than me as well, probably more knowledgeable than me as well. Anyway, so a question came up, different questions were coming up from the crowd. And the way we worked it, more or less, uh, basically was that things that were pertaining to Chinoch and Shalom bias I was addressing, the things that were pertaining to self-help, personal self-help, as well as hashkafer questions, let's call it, uh, he was addressing. And then we were commenting on each other, you know, helping out, you know, discussing the topics. So one question came up, um, I think from the women's side of the crowd, and it was something like, what do I do if I don't like the daven, or I don't enjoy davening, or something like that. I never developed a geschmack in davening, I don't like any, anyway, or something like that. And his answer was... Um, that very often people don't like the daven because they don't know what they're saying, and they weren't trained properly, they weren't in the properly, and sometimes it's, it's good to start with just a small piece of davening, and every day just say that piece again and again until you really like it, and you develop a taste for it, and you develop a connection with Hashem over it, and then slowly you expand you know, into whatever it is. Now, what I felt might have been a little misleading... And that's why I turned to this rabbi and I asked him, are you answering this question this way because it because you know that it came from the women's section? Because I, I don't know if everyone realized that it came from the women's section. Um, or this is what you would answer even if it was coming from the men's section. Now I'm not going go to go into what his response was and how that um, shuffled itself out. But I do know that people later came over to me and, and appreciated the fact that I brought that up because very often this is misleading. Some people have this idea, which is like a more a Kirv-style idea of, you know, it's all about the connection. It's all about connecting with Hashem. It's all about, uh, you know, just having the feeling. And sometimes, you, you know, they, they, we use words like, uh, or whatever it is that we try to lean on and explain why it's good sometimes to say a small part of davening with kabuna, and really, um, that's all you have to do. No, that's not true. There's, there's obligations. There's ch'ivim. The Shachana talks about how you're supposed to daven. So interestingly, somebody asked a question, something about why Hashem told us how to build a, a mishkan, right? We are learning these weeks about the, building the mishkan. Why does Hashem have to tell us exactly how to build it? With every detail? He should have said, I want a house, and I want you to make me a place for Ashura Sashkana, and uh, make it as nice as you could with whatever creativity, whatever ideas you have, you know, to build Hashem's house. Um, but it doesn't work like that. Building Hashem's house has to be built on His terms. Serving Hashem has to be on His terms. When people come up with ideas of, Hashem, I'm going to serve you now by doing this, by doing that. You know, it's on Shabbos. I'm going to daven the the to davening today because that's where I, that's the part that I like. You know, we, we serve Hashem on His terms, and when it comes to building our own homes and our own mikdash matan, it has to be on His terms. And that's why it is important to know what Shachanurich has to say about davening. You can't say Hashem, I'm picking a small piece because this is where I connect with you, and I know that the, the main part of tefillah is connection. So I'm just connecting with you in the particular I'm leaving out but here's where I think it does make a big difference if it's men or women, if it's people who are obligated by certain chiyuvim had a daven, and went to Davan and what time to daven, and with how many people to daven, and things like that, and not say, well, for me, it works better this way, as opposed to women who are maybe not, or less mechiev, or not a role mechiev, in a certain structure of davening, or a certain obligation of davening. So I'm just mentioning that, in terms of, you know, you're talking about, Look, I'm telling you this is something that you want to talk to a about, to make sure that you have clarity about what your wife is obligated to do, and how much you're obligated, you know, to be on top of her with that. Now, but I do want to take this a little further, and that's in general, because many people who are listening to this might not have this issue in terms of davening, but in terms of other things that are obligations. Achiv, Shachnurach. Now, again, this is something that before applying and before uh, implementing, you want to make sure that you're doing this al and talking to Aruv about any sufik they have al Pialucha. I'm always very clear with this disclaimer. I'm not a Mareruah and I'm not I'm explaining things in the realm of halucha and practicality. But I will mention that even when it comes to halucha, we do find that sometimes it's better not to say something. As a matter of fact, one of the times that we, one of the places we find this is specifically about women. More than once, Chazal, about women, that because women and children, by the way, but because women might not listen to what you're telling them to do, even though la lucha they have to do it, it's better not to say something. This is the old idea. Just like it's a mitzvah to say something that has to be said, it's the same mitzvah not to say something that should not be said because it won't be heard. The Shekhnura talks about this in the Um Shes when it comes to, to- We have a to add to Yom Kippur. Before Yom Kippur comes, you can't you can eat till this mom, you have to add a little bit. And it says clearly that you shouldn't say anything to women about this because they, they, the mitzvah is shogun. It's better, better than do it not knowingly. then they're going to to violate this uh, knowingly because you told them that they're not allowed and they're going to do it anyway. Now the remote clarifies right away that that's only in regard to (laughs) if it's something that says clearly in the Torah then you don't don't have that liberty to say well, I don't want to say because the person won't accept it. So again, there's different ways to understand how and when to apply this. But there definitely is the idea of knowing what not to say. Uh, There's also certain ideas that we find in our specifically where if you already tried to say something and it didn't work, then don't say it again. So there are things where the chachomim understood on their own. This probably won't be taken well. Ignore it. There are things that the chachomim said. You know what? It probably will be taken. Also well, try it. But if it doesn't work, then that might also go into the category of mitzvah lo So this is even in terms of things that should be said and have to be said and have to be done. Sometimes you just don't say them because, like you say. They're causing fights, it's not helping, she's not listening, or whatever it is. So is just something to think about in this Nagaya in, in regard to children as well, obviously. So like I said, sometimes you could assume in advance that something won't be taken well. Sometimes you have to learn from experience. And making the same mistake again and again, and hoping for better results, is ridiculous, is insanity. You know, Just this week I was communicating with somebody by email, and something came up, and I remembered that the same person emailed me over a year ago. And I looked back at the email from a year ago and I see that you know, you're know you trying something for over a year it's not working maybe it's time to try something different to keep on doing the same thing and hoping that now it's going to work now it's going to be better results or happier results or whatever it is that, that's ridiculous so the same thing is when it comes to communicating at home now let's let's take the flip side of not saying something sometimes people feel like I hate this often when it comes to teachers malam them in the classroom this kid's so difficult you know I decided I'm not going to I'm not going to give him the negative attention, I'm not going to scream at him today, I'm not going to this, I'm not going to that, it doesn't work anyway, I'm just ignoring him. Sometimes we feel like, if I can't do it the right way, it's not working, I'll shut off completely. That's it, it's just easier for me. It doesn't say anywhere that if you can't say something um, critical that's going to be productive, you shouldn't say anything. Why don't you give the kid a compliment? I mean, he's not taking any criticism anyway. He's not accepting authority, and he's not um, submitting to your control or or you know listening to any of the rules you have to say. Is that a reason not to give him a compliment? No, it might be a reason not to be critical because he's not taking that. But maybe try something else. Very often people go into that, you know, if I if I can't talk to you and you don't hear what I have to say, then forget I'm not saying anything. You can say something nice. Interestingly, the Lushan Khazal, Kach mitzvah Madhuva Hamishma, kah nishma. So people see it sometimes as it's a mitzvah to say something when it will be heard, and if it won't be heard, then don't say anything. That's not what it is. Just like, let's flip it, just like it's, it's a mitzvah to not say something that won't be heard, it's just as big a mitzvah to come up with something that will be heard. Come up with something that will be heard. Maybe there's something you could tell your wife that she will take better. Maybe telling her how to daven, and pointing out how unreasonable she's being, and irrational, and not she is, say something nice. Maybe compliment that she is davening at all. Maybe tell her how how inspired you are by the way she davens. Maybe you can even ask her to have you in mind by davening, which might actually inspire her to daven Shmuel where she might be able to have you in mind, for Panusa, something she might not find in Havel, for example. Maybe you could even tell her if you have a few extra minutes and you do get the if you only if you could. I would appreciate if you could have me in mind for this thing, this thriller for example. Or if you end up saying in Fuhayni today or this week, if you could have in mind this person in fear. There are so many intelligent and creative and smarter things to say but even if, even if it's not about manipulating her to that much answer, just complimenting her and letting her feel good for what she's doing it's not helping you to show her that she's not doing anything right so maybe just try the other way around and especially when it comes to women dabbling, it's probably the right thing to do so I think that's very important to, to learn from experience what not to say and then to figure out what could be said I just saw this week I started off with a protest in Yisrael but I'll mention a short anecdote that somebody mentioned in was last week and that is that he once came to a psacheva I think it was. And there was a child sitting there. And everyone was eating or whatever it was that was being served. And this child kept on making bruchas. I don't know if it was literally every uh, spoonful that he was putting into his mouth or every other thing that he was touching, kept on making a new bruches. And the father was telling him, stop, stop making bruchas. You already made a brucha. You don't make another shakal, another shakal, another shakal. He said it already. And the rabbi, the baisist, he saw the gay this. And he told the father, stop, don't, stop, stop telling him that. He said, why? He said, he's a child. The fact that he's making too many bruchas, for example, is not terrible. It's better that he get used to making bruchas and not, and remember to not put anything in his mouth without a brucha than to tell him to be more careful about the halukhah that he's violating with a with the Brukhlavatullah. And maybe he'll he'll be forgetful about bruchas and get used to not making a brucha. Which is interesting because you know he could always get used to the wrong thing as well. But it seems that because he's a child, it's important to differentiate and realize the Brukhla Vatullah is not really a halucha at this point for him the chinuch part about being used to making bruchas and feeling good about people answering uman and getting attention is probably a better part of the chinuch let him be now he didn't say that you should tell him to make a brucha on, every, on everything he touches but just realizing that sometimes based on what you're dealing with based on the person based on the circumstance based on the stage based on the halucha instead of being critical especially when it's not helping and especially when it's probably not necessary or it's not being productive come up with something nice to say and realize that something will be promoting something good there are people that don't daven at all because they kept on being told that the way they're davening is no good. So I think that in terms of um, helping your wife daven better, I think the first thing you want to do is start by making her feel very special about the davening she does and um, how much you appreciate it and respect it. That's that's um, that's what I have to say specifically about the davening part. But I do want to pick up on the other um, line that you don't like bringing it up because it causes fights. You know, I don't know if you don't like it and you don't, or you don't like to, but you do anyway. Uh, but I think the part about where somebody is bringing something up and it's causing a fight is already the next level. Which means sometimes you'll say something and it's not producing the results you want. Okay, that's one. So it's, that's what we discussed until now. So don't say it. But sometimes it's actually causing a fight and that's something to think about. Why is it causing a fight? It's one thing if she thinks she's smarter than you or if a teacher in seminary told her that she that she's dominating in the right way or for whatever reason she's not appreciating it. but causing a fight that, that probably has something to do with um, general communication skills and knowing how and, and when to say something. So I think it's, a, it's important to differentiate. It's one thing when somebody doesn't accept something. It's another thing when, when it causes friction and it's taken personal and things like that. Now, when you say something to someone and it causes a fight, there's two possibilities over there amongst many but most often it's one of two. Either you really didn't say it in a critical or personal way but the person you're talking to is highly sensitive and they they felt offended, they got triggered by something you said, even though there was no reason for that. Or, you thought you were just saying something relatively simple and gentle, but really, when you think about it, or at least the way it sounded to someone else, it was very critical and very hurtful. Now, it's not always easy to figure out which one it is. Very often, most people will say, no, I, I didn't say anything wrong, and it's just the other person. Now, it's irrelevant. Whether it's the other person's um, hypersensitivity, or it's your lack of sensitivity, whatever it is, it's reason for you, the one that's noticing this and the one that doesn't want this to happen, to, to rethink and, and start saying things differently. Even if it's her problem, it's, it's also reason for you to word things differently. Or if it's your problem, then of course it's your... Sometimes people are like, well, she shouldn't be so sensitive. If she sure should or shouldn't, this is irrelevant. I think that anyone communicating and noticing that what, what they're saying is not being taken well, it's a reason for them to do some introspection, say, could I say it nicer? Is there a way to, like I often mentioned, to bumper this up a little, to cushion the message? Could I start by saying, how, like, like I mentioned before, how well she davens, and how ill she is, and what an inspiration it is to me, and that I know that she really does things the right way, and she probably maybe is even right? And then I'm just thinking, where I feel that maybe, blah, 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 but she doesn't have to. There's only ways to cushion something, that regardless of why it was taken wrong, and I'm not talking about the, the davening part, I'm talking about anything. Any message you want to give, if you say it the right way, most often, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be a problem. That's what I believe. I, th- I think that almost everything could be said to almost anyone. Of course, I always had the almost. But almost everything could be said to almost anyone. If the way you say it, and the time you say it, and the tone you say it in, and bef- the before and after is, is, is worded correctly. And is where people get stuck on, but I'm allowed to say this. But, 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 but it's right. But I didn't mean anything wrong. But what? It doesn't matter. So if anything you're saying at home ever causes fights, it's always something to just think about why. Could I have said it at a better timing or in a nicer way? Was there a way to make sure the person didn't feel that it was a personal message? And more than that, could it be that I was imposing an opinion on someone or making them feel stupid or showing them that I disagree with them as opposed to just sharing a feeling that I have and explaining that this is something I would appreciate or something I feel very strongly about and doesn't necessarily obligate them Etc. Etc. Very often, you know, these kind of things could definitely uh, make a big difference. Now, the last thing you mentioned uh, um, shouldn't be a, a wife. Shouldn't the wife be listening to her husband when it comes to rochnias, not rochnias? Again, I, I don't know exactly where this um, idea specifically comes from. The Ruchnias, the gashmis. I think that's what. I, I think it comes from people who try to um, separate or divide things at home. You'll decide the gashmis. I'll decide the Rukhni, Things like that. I'm not sure if that says anywhere. Um, there is the idea of a woman doing kalmasayu al-piv, the Ramam talks about it, right, she a wife should be submitting to, I don't know what to call that, the authority, or the, the desires of her husband, there's definitely something about the way Ayida Shishtiba is set up, that a woman um, is looking to her husband and trying to figure out what he would appreciate, and what he would want, and doing things the way he wants. There's something about it, not a question. Is this the obligation of the husband to implement is, is he there to enforce, hey, you're not doing things the way that Ram says you should be doing it, the way I want? I don't think so. I think it's so important for husbands to know what husbands have to know and know when the mitzvah, for example, comes in. It's important for women to know that, yeah, don't, don't listen to a, to a class like this and say, okay, so here goes, my husband shouldn't be telling me anymore. Maybe you should be asking him how he wants certain things done. It's interesting because, especially when it comes to davening or mitzvah, or one of the reasons why one of the reasons given why women are are, are exempt from any, any mitzvah that's, that's designated to a specific time, one of the reasons is because she's mishibediz labala, because she always has to be there available for her husband. So Hashem didn't want that. She should say, oh, I can't help you now. I'm such chuckle little bit I'm going to sit in the sicker. I'm busy with the, you know, whatever it is. Hashem didn't want that. Hashem so, said, you know what? You're exempt. Anything that's, anything that's, that's specific timing, you're exempt. You should always be available for your husband. In the meantime, you have women that are either davening or doing mitzvahs or whatever it is, and not available for the husband. So it's like, you know, just just the opposite of what the intention was. And the same thing with Menhogan. In general, a, a woman should be respectful of her husband's menhogan. As a matter of fact, a she's obligated actually to accept upon herself his menhogan I mean, How often do, you, do I hear this? My father didn't do it that way. I don't know where you picked it up. Now again, I'm not giving a blanket statement that that, that aren't real minhugim. that minhogen has somebody just accepted upon himself when and how and where. But in the general sense, there's definitely the dynamics of Yiddish Ashtiv, where the husband is, for lack of a better word, the boss, and the woman is the one with the respect, and the one turning to him to hear what should be done, both in Rukhnis and in Gashmis. There's definitely, that's the way Yiddish Ashtiv is set up, that's the way the Torah sets it up. Anyone that's going to make believe it's not that way, and we're all equal, and we shouldn't be, you know, getting this, is definitely a secular idea. At the same time, I think everything I said till now was also true. Knowing when not to say, knowing how to compliment, knowing how to make someone feel good, knowing how to to not be someone's mashgir, and not be there to control them, and not carry a chryas that's not really yours, knowing which things are counterproductive and just not helping your home and not making it a happier place and just making it harder for someone else. So I think this is definitely a balance that husbands have to know and wives have to know. And when I wish a when everyone can focus on what they could do better and where they could be being a better spouse, a better husband and a better wife, and, and both being committed to das Torah, both being committed together to hearing what what the Ruv or what some Torah authority has to say, together, I think that's so helpful. I mean, I have a lot of these difficulties could be taken care of, could be resolved. Any kind of kusis, any kind of of uh, anything critical at all will always only be lamur when done right in the right time in the right place, and when not done wrong. I mean, I yourself, we could live together, but how about everyone